Praise the Lord. Did we release all the kitties already? We did. All right. So you're all adults here now. Good. All right. Are you ready? It's only 10. I cut it down tonight. Was that good or what? Eight would be good. Hey, so how many would like Stefan to give a testimony? How many? Three people? Okay, come on up, Stefan. We'll let you give a testimony. What are you testifying about? You, I'm going to have you testify about... Uh, I didn't want to tell you. I wanted to surprise you. Thanks. I appreciate that. You're actually my second choice, but it's okay. <laughs> it's all right. It was you, but, you know, but Stefan's back. So uh, you came to this church. You accepted Jesus. You got baptized in water. You got all these things going on. What, what for you, what are, what are some of the things you would say? If you're coming to this church and you say, this is my family, the family business, what do you think are things that are outstanding for you that you've seen about the house here, about the family? The people are welcoming. The people and, are welcoming. And it's like, you know, like, they're really, like, interested in my life. And it's, like, really encouragement. Like, I'd rather have people, like, ignore me than be fake friendly. Yeah. You know, so, so that's really nice. And, and, you know, like, they want to be involved in your life and actually genuinely care. Yeah. What would be some of the other things? What, what would be positions you think you'd say, you know, this is pretty clear in this house that this is, this is what we stand for? A big message of grace, mercy, God Come loves on. you. Um, that he's for you. Yes. Um, that like I'm accepted just as I am. Like yes. my life changed a lot because of God. Yeah. And it's nice that like you know like you know they have the message we have here about transforming lives and to impact our world. But it's nice to know that I'm, before any of that happened that I was already pleasing in God's eye. Isn't that good? Do you find that intimidating? That that's on the sign that we want to transform your life. Do you think not, that's a bit not over really? Because my no. life needed to be transformed. To be transformed. <laughs> what about those people who say my life's pretty good? What do you want to transform me for? We always you Christians are always trying to fix people. What's your problem? Do you find that at all, or is that just me? I don't know. I don't know. I, maybe that is you, or maybe that's the problem. People think that they're good without Jesus. Yeah. That it's, you know, maybe nice that Jesus blessed me, but I was already pretty good on my own. I know and, that is a problem. You know, like... I was thinking know, about when I drove by the sign, I looked at it as if I was not a part of this church, and I, I looked transforming lives to impact the world. I went, well, I wonder if I was just, just the average guy passing by, like, what are you saying? Like... You know, if I come in there, something's going to happen. Like, you're going to change me. And, and I don't know. I just, I, I just started to rehearse that in my head. And I was like, that seems to be inside we understand that. But what's to say outside? Anyway, sorry to mess up your testimony there. Well, give, me, give me another feature that you think is real important to us. That we give. Like, not just giving here in the bucket, but that we give to the community around yeah. us. Um, that we're like intentional about our giving, that we help churches build and grow, um, that we give like to the schools around us and that we help out like with those with real needs. Yeah. You know, that it's not just, you know, nameless, faceless things, but like real people with real lives that we can help change for the better. Like what you've done with Aberdeen is amazing. Yeah. So did, is that something that you really, that really impacted you when you came, you saw that and that was meaningful and you said, you know what, that's a big deal? Well, I was pretty content when I thought my like, you know, five dollars was just going to like church barbecues and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but then, you know, to find know what we're really doing that's important you know yeah. like locally and globally yeah so 
you know, like how India has grown to the point where they don't even really need our donations. I know. That's amazing. Yeah. I need them to send me a check now. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, it shows that like what you're preaching and what's been been taught here, it works. And like it's not true. just here in Canada, yeah. it works everywhere. Like John's doing all right down in Haiti. Yeah. You know, he maybe doesn't have like a house on a hill or, you know, a sports car and stuff, but you know, they're able to pay their bills and, you know, they're getting by. They're like, their church is growing. They're able to help their community. Yeah. And that's stuff that wasn't being done before. And Jesus started to reach in their life. The poorest community in our hemisphere. And, and they're, they're doing stuff in that community. It's pretty cool. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, like prosperity works everywhere. That God, it does. God has a preferred future for everyone. Yeah. I've, I've had people tell me, go preach that in a third world country. I say, I have. I do. And you know what? God's word works everywhere. If it doesn't work everywhere, then it's not true. Mm. And so it's, it's really important stuff. No, like the stuff, the, the stuff that you preach here, it's even changing the hearts and minds of the old Baptists I preached to you on Tuesdays. <laughs> You're regurgitating sermons? Always. Always. <laughs> <laughs> just make sure you chew them first and, and uh, give them a bit of your own flavor. That's good stuff. I actually just had a call from, uh, uh, not Bobby, but another pastor in Nova Scotia. And he said, actually, I was just driving listening to your podcast, and I, I just wanted to call and say thank you. And I was like, wow, that was, that was really kind. So it's pretty cool. People are listening out there. It's worth it. So, Sue, what you're doing is important. People are being touched all over the place. I know in India, I go there, Pastor Jacob tells me what I can't preach because he's preached it already. So, it's all good. One more thing and we'll let you go. Um, I guess equipping people. Like, the God's already placed gifts inside me. Mm-hmm. But you're helping me unpack those gifts. And yeah. not just for myself, but to, like, affect others in the world, yeah. you know, in my community and stuff. I like it. Mm. Give it up for Steph and say that was good stuff. All right, so the, all 11 pages of last week, we're going to recap it in just a couple sentences. Can you believe it? My God. Okay. You got a little blank there to fill in. So uh, our DNA. So basically, all I was trying to say was that uh, God, in the big picture, God, the cosmos was messed up. Like, we were introduced and we were brought into a, a really goofed up situation. Like, it wasn't all perfect when he created the Garden of Eden. That was in a messed up. It was chaos. It was void. There was a, a cosmos battle going on. So so God introduced this creation in the middle of a big, big struggle. And so God's purpose was that I'm going to bring everything back under my reign and my rule. I'm going to express my goodness, my love. And so God wanted his glory to fill all the earth. He wanted the cosmos once again to be under his headship and to be, you know, back in that whole role. So the cool thing is, so his eternal purpose is to get his glory everywhere and fill everything. But then there's that ecclesiological thing, which is that is what he wants to do. But he has limited himself like God who was unlimited has limited himself he says I'm not going to do it another way I'm going to do it through a group of people that I'm going to call and this is an eternal purpose this isn't something you went gee I better change my I mean this was God's eternal purpose the church a congregation that called out people from before time and throughout forever and ever we're going to reign and rule with him so the church isn't like some little thing that popped into existence is going to be gone again the church is the eternal purpose of God this called out community that God's called. So church is a big deal. It's not just a big deal. Uh, Got to go somewhere. I guess I'll go here on Sunday and pay the God bill and worship God. And this is an eternal thing. These are eternal issues that are being worked out. And what you're doing right now isn't just something for this little temporal here and now. You're literally setting yourself up for eternal purpose and eternal situations. And it's a big deal. It's really a big, big deal. And the church is. It's, I, I feel bad for people that are messed up and don't understand the value of the church, don't understand that, because the church is that place for eternity that you're going to be connected to and a part of. And if the church you're in doesn't have leadership, it doesn't have a communion table, it doesn't have a baptism,
abysmal. It doesn't have community. You might not be in a church. You might be a part of the cosmic church, but you're really out of a real genuine functional relationship with that eternal body. It's a sad thing that, that people have church has been abused, misused, and all those things. But you know what? God is still, it's still his bride and he's committed to it. And it's the only vehicle that he's going to use to demonstrate his goodness in the earth. So his glory is going to fill the earth and the church is going to be the vehicle to manifest that in and through. So here's the church. Love the church. Here comes the church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That was last week in a nutshell took me a lot longer to do it last week. There's a lot of really, really good stuff in there, though. So you got notes. If you are a aspiring preacher, I just gave you enough that you could preach for like a year just with last week's stuff. So we're going to give you another year tonight. Say amen. All right, so just going to throw a couple of my favorite verses at you just for fun. So at Impact Church, right in the middle at Impact Church, we have some very clear priorities that shape our philosophy of ministry. So we had the great big overarching God's purpose, his eternal purpose, his plan uh, uh, last week. Now we're going to get down to some more overarching specifics about us as a community here. So Proverbs 9.1 says, Wisdom has built her house and hewn out her seven pillars. So I'm going to give you seven priorities tonight that uh, we kind of have as a fellowship. And wisdom is hewn out her seven pillars. She's mixed her wine. She's she set the table. She's done all that. She says, come and eat of my bread. Drink my wine I've mixed. Forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. So wisdom is a personification of Jesus. So Jesus building the house, building that house, and he's crying out to everybody, come. I mean, don't be foolish. Come and be a part of this beautiful eternal community and experience it. So there's seven pillars. So what are the seven pillars of impact? couple favorite verses just to prime us up. Uh, Romans 1, 5, through him we have received grace. Through him we have received grace. The apostle Paul received grace and apostleship for obedience to faith among the nations for his name. That's a big deal. 1 Timothy 1, 14, and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant and it came with packing faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith and it's not of yourselves, it is is the gift of God. Romans 4, 16, therefore it is of faith. Why is it faith? We want it to be faith and only faith because it all comes because of God's grace. It's all about grace and we want it to be only grace. We want everything that comes to you, everything you experience to be because of God's goodness and because of his favor and because of his uncontrollable love for you. And that's why it's all gonna be through faith because he wants it all to be grace. So faith isn't some work you gotta muster up to pull something out of his hand. Faith is just a simple express vehicle that you use to say, yes, Lord, and you tap in to all his goodness towards you. It's sad when we turn faith into a work. Faith isn't a work, but faith does work. <laughs> faith isn't a work, but faith works. Faith really does work. So uh, Galatians 5, 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. Another translation says, all that matters is faith working in love. That's all that matters is faith working 
through love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. John 13, 35, by all this, by this all of you know, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, if you have that love for one another. So us expressing the love of God in community is a manifestation that we are disciples and children of God. That's not how you become a child of God, but because you're a child of God, you just naturally love flows out of you. You better prove you're a Christian by loving people. That's not the way it works. Because you're a believer, since I'm a believer, since I've been impacted by the love of God, loving other people, it's easy. Except some of you, you're a bit odd. Just, just thinking, no, it's easy. It really is. You know, John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Have you been loved by God? Because the quality of love you're supposed to give others is as he's loved you. The only way you could do that is to have been loved by him and to experience his quality of love in your life. And the new covenant, the new covenant in his blood put the old covenant in a place of being obsolete. It also made the commandments of the old covenant obsolete. Done. There's a new com covenant and the new covenant has a new commandment. You're to love one another as I have loved you. So that's, that's the commandment that goes with the new covenant. So I don't mind that they want to take the Ten Commandments down from other places because I'm going, that's just, what is the power of sin? The power of sin is the law. So we're putting the power of sin in front of people all the time and we got play, oh, they're trying to take down the Ten Commandments. I'm kind of like, oh, that's good. Because there's some people still trying to live a new covenant life with an old covenant law. <coughs> and that will just drive the snot out of you, just... How many, any law keepers here tonight? Okay. It's good to keep the law, but what's beautiful is that, you know, he doesn't write the Ten Commandments on your heart. He writes the new covenant love on your heart. The new commandment gets written on your heart, and the love of God, boom, explodes inside of you, and everything gets fulfilled in that. Against such there is no law. All right, so let's start with the first one. It's got to be the most important, and we believe that here, authentic love. I like what Stefan said. I came here, people really cared about me, and it wasn't just that, you know, flaky, fluffy love. It was really, when people looked at him, he felt like these people genuinely care for me. So we like authentic love. Say authentic. Authentic love. All right, authentic love. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, a lawyer, one of the teachers of the law, he came up and he tested Jesus saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, well, what's written in the law? Well, how do you read it? What do you think? What's written where? What's written where? So what are we talking about here? We're talking about the old covenant. When Jesus came and ministered, that's why you got to be careful when you read the red letters. Some people say, I believe the red letters. Well, that's good. But a lot of the red letters were old covenant. Because Jesus hadn't died yet. He was ministering to people under an old covenant. So here's a teacher of the law, under the law, saying to Jesus, what must I do? And this was true. It was absolutely true. Under the law, what did you have to do to gain eternal life? You had to obey the whole law. Every single bit of it. You couldn't blow it in one single place. So if you summarize the whole law, this is a summary of the whole law. And this is in the law. That's what the law says. What's your reading of it? So he answered, said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered rightly. Knock yourself out. Do that and you'll live. Give it your best effort. Carry on. 
I mean all your heart. I got a meter that tells me whether you're giving it all or not. So let me see if Ben's giving it all. <laughs> nah, a little bit. Likes his motorcycle a little bit. You know, there's a little, little mixture in there. You know, what that does is it puts you on the area of judgment because it's law. And law, when you drive down the street, I can tell you immediately whether you're a speeder or whether you're obeying the law. It's right there. You're either in or you're out. Boom, boom. And you see, a lot of people think that they preach this stuff. I've heard preachers saying, this is what you folks got to do. You better love the Lord with all your heart. Well, how much is enough? How do I know if I've totally loved God? Like, what if I missed out just a little bit? Can I love my wife a little bit? Or, you know, and then he says, crazy, hyperbole. Like, if you're going to follow me, you got to hate your mother, hate your father. I mean, Jesus did all kinds of stuff just to mess them up totally. Because some of these guys came and said, you know, what does the law say? And then the one fellow said, I've done it all. I've obeyed the whole law. She's went, <laughs> wow, this guy's messed up. He said, okay, tell you what. He knew he was a rich guy. So he said, take all your money, give it to the poor and follow me. And the guy walked away. And it says, and Jesus loved him. But he watched him walk away because he knew the riches had him. But he literally was trying to say to God, I've obeyed the whole law. Can you believe it, how self-righteous people are? And, you know, the law leads you to a place of either, you know, religious performance where you're a hypocrite and a faker, or it leads you to a place where you're so busted, you say, I can't do it, I quit, I'm out. I'm going fishing. But thank God Jesus came and he dealt with the law. He fulfilled the law. And then the love that, that we need to manifest, he poured it in our heart. He fulfilled every condition of the covenant. He covered my side of the deal and God's side of the deal, all cut in Jesus so that all I have to do to be right with God is believe that what he said is true. And it's all a gracious gift. Anything that puts bells and whistles or check boxes or puts you on a scale of performance is religion. It's the law. It's awful. It's disgusting. It'll mess you up. It'll harm you. It'll put you at odds with God. Not that God's at odds with you, but in your own head, you're going to distance yourself because you'll never honor your self-righteousness. And he'll still be there patting on your head going, hey, can we talk? Everybody Okay. All right, that's really important stuff, all right? So 1 John 4, 11, beloved if, and that if should be since. Since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So the law was you got to do to get something from God. But you see, the new covenant is God loves you, therefore you can love. So God is always the one who initiates, fulfills, and manifests the whole thing. And us from beginning to end, he's the author and finisher of our Faith. This is a faith journey from beginning to end. That's why Paul said in Galatians, who cut you off? You started in faith and then somebody got you on a treadmill of works again. And he literally said, who bewitched you? And he says, people who try to get you into works, you know what they are? They're performing witchcraft on your life. That's what he compared it to. They are witches. They are goblins and demons. But anytime somebody tries to put works on your performance or says, if you fulfill these 10 steps, you can be awesome. They're deceiving you because you're already awesome. You can't improve upon, that's like you saying, God, thank you for making me awesome, but I think I can make myself awesomer. That's just a silly old spirit of pride. Okay, got to get that. I got to go because we got a lot of pages to get through and I'm still, on, I'm on page two. Pretty good, pretty good. Dr. Dean Ornish, love and intimacy, our ability to connect with ourselves and others is the root of what makes us sick and what makes us well. That's a strong statement, isn't it? 
Our ability to connect, love and intimacy, our ability to connect with people is at the root of what makes us sick and what makes us well, what causes sadness, what brings happiness, what makes us suffer, and what leads to healing. That's a really, really strong thing. So relationship, love, intimacy, all these things, you being connected with God, an absolute revelation of the understanding of his love for you can impact every single area of your life. That's why Paul said, oh, I pray that you might get a revelation of the height, the depth, the width, the length. I pray that you would just get overwhelmed with the understanding of how much God loves you. That will heal you. It'll heal all your relationships. And really, if you get that point, boom, life is wonderful. Yes, but I want the 22 ways to the 30 reasons. How? I want to get power. I want to get power. You've got power. And anyone who says you got to do X, Y, Z to get power, again, witchcraft. How are you? All right. I just know, because I know there's people who love to put us on treadmills. They do. It's because they're on a treadmill. They want you to join them. They hate being there by themselves. Dr. Les Parrott, he said, if you try to build intimacy with another person before you've done the work of getting a hole on your own, all your relationships become an attempt to complete yourself. I like that. I just like that, because so often we're, we're trying to complete ourselves through relationships with other people, but you really, really can't. So the thing is, is that the way you get complete is through your relationship with God. So I haven't got the whole passage here, but this is out of the message. I'm just taking a bit of it. You'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Then he says, run, run now on the road God called you to travel. And then he says, do it steadily, pouring yourself out for each other in acts of love. So three essentials of authentic love. Number one, you got to embrace your value. And when you embrace your value, boom, I mean, you can, you can literally live out of that. A lot of people just don't know how incredibly blessed they are to be a child of God. And you know, when you get that revelation, you've got to get that. And when you get the extravagant dimensions of God's love, I mean, you are wrapped in God's unconditional, everlasting love. It's so good. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, The Lord has appeared of old, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have you drawn me. I love how the message says, it says, God told them, I never quit loving you, and I never will. Expect love, love, and more love. That's all you should expect. What should I expect from God? Love, love, and more love. That's going to lead to you being yourself. That's why uh, you can come here and, and Stefan can experience people that are actually free to be themselves and be authentic with him because when you realize how incredibly loved you are by God, you're free to express and just be yourself with people. Like I have people come and say like, you know, like you're, when you preach and stuff, you're just, you're too real. Like you're talking about your own issues and sharing things and just like, I just I don't run into people that are that real. That's because a lot of people are so insecure and they don't know who they are. And so they're afraid to even share a struggle or a difficulty because you might think less of me, right? Like if, I, if I'm open before you, oh my goodness. I mean, you might, I don't care if you think less of me because he loves me and he's crazy about me and maybe me sharing one of my difficulties might help you. You know, you, you might say, wow, that's, that's really great. You know, you got a real life too. I really, really do. But you know what? I'm really, really loved by God. It's everlasting. It's unconditional. And it's powerful. It's forceful. You can be yourself. You're unique. There's a road you've been called to travel. Don't ever be a copy. We don't need a copy. We just need you to be your absolute self. I love Psalm 139. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I mean, that's David when he, he got anointed and went back to the field. He went back to being a shepherd. But when he was there, he said, man, I knew I was awesome. I knew I was cool. He said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And you are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's only one of you. And God's got a very clear 
purpose for your life that you need to just be yourself. Jason Morantz, interesting guy, poet, uh, songwriter, but he said, transformation is my favorite game, and in my experience, anger and frustration are a result of you not being authentic somewhere in your life or with someone in your life. Being fake about anything creates a block inside of you, and life can't work if you don't show up as you. Isn't it easy to be you? It's so easy to be yourself. You don't, you know, you're free from all the performance stuff and all the nonsense. Just be yourself. So that leads to this. You can serve others, right? He says, then he says, when you get a revelation of how much you're loved, when you get a revelation of God's purpose for your life, and you realize the significance that God has for you, all of that establishes you, strengthens you, grounds you, and then it says, steadily, you can pour yourself out in acts of love for each other. So that's important. So when you walk into the room, everybody else has incredibly great value. See, when an insecure person walks in the room, they're just trying to find their place. They're trying to figure out, or they posture and says, hey, how's it going? Yeah, it's really odd when you see someone who's not comfortable in their own skin. It's kind of weird. It's almost creepy because you're feeling like, oh, my God, we're going to do a dance. You know? But it's really nice when you can walk in and just be yourself and just be free. And the most beautiful thing is always put others ahead of you. Always speak the language of other people. Get into people's lives on purpose, you know? Ask about them. Ask them how they're doing, what's happening with their life. Learn a bit about them. And you know, because you're called to pour your life out for other people. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Every one of you in this room are better than me. Isn't that great? I don't even have to try. You're, you're just better than me. So I give up. I yield. You win. You're better. And I'm totally okay with that. Okay. All right, we're going to jump into the second thing. All right, the second value we got is amazing grace. You know, love has to be the first thing because really that's, it's all about love. You don't get that. God is love. And because you're a child of God and you've been loved by God, you love others. You don't love others to prove you're a child of God. That flows out of because I am a child of God and I'm free and I love others. But the next thing that's really a big, big value for us is grace. And grace really is amazing. It really is. I love that song by Charles Wesley, Amazing love how can it be that oh my god you died for me i mean it just always boggles my mind that god condescended to such a level to lift me up he became so very poor to lift me so very high and to bring me into that community where i am in union with the trinity father son holy ghost they're my best friends every day of my life and i am locked in with them and they'll never ever let me go it's so good, so good. It's amazing grace. Ephesians 1, 6 and 7, to the praise of the glory of his grace. To praise, give glory to his grace. To the praise and glory of his grace, he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. What do we have? We got the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of our effort to do better. No, it's according to the riches of his grace. Not just grace, but the riches of his grace. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my dad's favorite authors, has all kinds of his books. Now, I've got all kinds of his books, but he said, this is what he said, he said, when you preach grace, unless your conscience is accusing you of license, you haven't even preached grace. If you're preaching grace, if you're not while you're preaching grace going, you've gone too far, stop it. I mean, that's ridiculous. God's not that good. You're going to harm people with that. Stop. People will go running down the road and sinning and sinning and sinning because if you're not battling with those kind of things in your head, you haven't even touched the surface of grace because grace really is amazing. And if you really understood grace, you wouldn't have to worry about sin because grace 
baptizes you and delivers you from the clutches of sin. And the love of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God is what sets you free and empowers you to live the God kind of life. You got to embrace that with everything in you. Oh, it's so good. And I tell you, that sets you absolutely, totally free. Because if you spend your whole life just trying to be better, you don't understand grace. And you don't understand how much he loves you. He dealt with sin at the cross. Past, present, future, done. You don't have a sin consciousness relationship with God anymore. Well, what about sin? Don't even worry about it because tell you the grace takes care of it. Grace Pastor covers Carl, it. Yes, ma'am. people think that if you teach grace, it'll lead to license. They don't understand grace because Paul said to Titus, grace teaches you to say no, no to ungodliness and it teaches you to say yes to God. True. So, I think it might even be in here. It might not be then, but it was somewhere. All right, but that's true. Grace, Titus 2, 11, 12. That's good. All right. Uh, this is super right here. Romans 5, 20. Ready? Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. So what does the law do? It exposes sin more. exposes that you're a lawbreaker. So the law wasn't there at the start, but then the law was introduced to expose you know, that we're lawbreakers. So the law entered in to expose that we're lawbreakers and to cause the offense to abound, but where sin abounded, where sin abounded, treachery and misery followed quickly. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Grace abounded much more. So that word is hooper pariseo, and that word is a compound word of hyper and pariseo. The word hyper is where we get the English word hyper. There's actually people who've written books about, there's a doctrine out there called hyper grace. And I said, I know, it's in the Bible. You have to be careful of those hyper grace preachers. I would not be careful of them. I'd be careful of the ones that aren't preaching hyper grace. Because the Bible is hyper grace. It's right there. It says where sin abounds, grace does hyper abound. Hyper, hooper. It's just like boom, over the top abounds. And where we get the English word abound is, is from that Pariseo. So the biblical grace is a hyper abounding grace. Acts 20, 24, this ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of his grace, the grace of God. So Paul used the word grace 144 times. He was big on grace. And grace, goodwill, loving kindness, favor, the merciful kindness by, of God by which existing, his, exerting his holy influence upon our souls, turning them to Christ. It keeps us, strengthens us, increases us in Christian faith, knowledge, affection, and kindles virtues. All right, grace is a person. Jesus came and of this fullness we have all received grace after grace for the law was given through Moses but through Jesus did not come more law. Like Jesus when he taught the when they look at the the Sermon on the Mount he was teaching law on steroids. Oh I love the Sermon on the Mount don't you? I don't. It drives me crazy because I felt good that I wasn't a murderer. I have never murdered anybody honest to God. But then Jesus said, have you ever hated anybody? Oh, maybe. You've murdered somebody. What? I'm just feeling good about myself, but Jesus took it to a whole other standard because Jesus is trying to show that none of your self-righteousness can get you what you need from God. He's trying to deliver people totally. Uh, any adulterers here? How many have never committed adultery? Now, all heads, heads bowed, eyes closed, you know, but... 
You know, I mean, the whole thing is, I'm, I'm like, gee, never did that, you know, so I feel pretty good about myself. Have you ever looked at a woman? Well, yeah. So he just jacked it up, put it into a whole other realm where, you know, but people are, people are teaching that, like, these are the red letters of Jesus. Well, that was Jesus trying to take a bunch of self-righteous people and put them in a dilemma. He was trying to get them to say, I need mercy. Good, that's why I came. But they all wanted to, trying to justify themselves. Like that lawyer who came and said, you know, how do I get into heaven? He said, love your neighbor yourself. Then all of a sudden he said, well, who's my neighbor? <laughs> Let's qualify that one. Who's really my neighbor? So then he told the story about the good Samaritan. And he makes a Samaritan, somebody that they hate, the hero in the story, just to expose their crooked hearts. Jesus was so good, amen? So good at that. I mean, my God. Okay, so... It's his grace, 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 but grace came through Jesus Christ. Grace, it says grace and truth. It really could be, or some translations, it's he was faithfully an expression of grace, or he was grace truthfully. But he's grace, because some people go, well, it's grace and truth, brother. It's grace, but it's truth also. Oh, like sometimes when Jesus is manifesting grace, it's all grace, but on the grace, and now you need some truth. See, God doesn't stop being grace while he's truth. He's full on grace, truly. He's truly full on grace. Well, you know, all of this grace, we need to add some truth. Why, you religious nutball? Grace is the truth. Jesus is the truth. He's the way, the truth, the life. And you know what? Grace is amazing. Just give it up. Just stop it. Just take your hand out here as far as you possibly can. All right? Push out as far as you can. You ready? Now bring it in as fast as you can. Oh! I mean, just knock that religious devil right out because God is good. You're not. But he is. And all of his goodness, he's credited it to your account. Oh, just check my account. Oh, holy mackerel, I'm good. How good are you? I'm the God kind of good. How did you get it? He gave it to me. Done. Credited to your account. All right. Sorry I got stuck there, but had to. All right, Galatians 4, uh, 21 to 30. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear what the law says? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by bondwoman, one by free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman is born according to the flesh, and he the free woman, the promise. So these things are symbolic. Right, so you got, the, you got the new covenant interpreting the old covenant for you. So these are symbolic, for these are two covenants. What are we talking about? We're talking about Hagar, and we're talking about uh, Sarah. <laughs> Hagar and Sarah. So you got Hagar. Hagar is the law. Sarah is grace. So that's what I'm saying. They, they symbolize two covenants. Hagar is Mount Sinai, which is where the Ten Commandments were given in Arabia, and according to Jerusalem, which is now and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren woman, you who did not break forth and shout, for you who are not in labor, for the desolate has had more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was a child of promise, but as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted, that word persecuted, to pursue in a hostile manner. You see, uh, Ishmael persecuted Isaac, pursued it in a hostile manner. You know what's happening to the church today, the church that believes in grace? They're being pursued in a hostile manner by the people who want to prop up the law. I mean hostile. It's unbelievable what people say about grace preachers, people who just teach the goodness of God. They pursue you in a hostile manner because you're taking away all my toys. 
You know how I get people to get to the altar? I tell them, you better get to the altar because God's mad at you, you rotten sinners. Took away all your, all your little programs and just said, God's good. He's nuts about you. Loves you, loves you, loves you, loves you. But grace preachers hate that and they'll, or they love that. But, you know, those who preach the law all the time, they got mixture in their heads. They can't stand grace. They pursue it in a hostile manner. Him was born according to the spirit. Even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? The scripture says, cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Can I get an amen? So where did that happen? That happened in Genesis 21, 1 to 12. They're having a big party because it was the weaning of, uh, of Isaac. And when they were there, you read about it. And Hagar and Ishmael, they were mocking. They were mocking. And Sarah went, I'm not taking that anymore. And Abraham said, oh, come on. Don't be like that. Let's be nice. And he said, she said, no, you kicked them out of the camp. Get rid of them. I don't want them under our roof anymore. And that sounds harsh, doesn't it? And Abraham, I mean, this is my son. I mean, Ishmael is my son. I mean, come on, Sarah, don't be like that. But then God had to speak to Abraham directly and say, she's right, and you have to do this. And you'll see God took care of Hagar. He took care of Ishmael. But, you know, they had to go. And what is God saying? God is saying, you cannot be raised with mixture. Say mixture. It's got to be grace, 100% grace, full grace, all the time. Let me say that again. you got to get rid of mixture. And it creeps in so easily. That whole little standard of checking boxes and just trying to be better than Billy. And I, I'm a little better than Bob and Sue. You know, your comparison, all that nonsense, you got to get rid of it. If you have any standing with God at all, it's because of what he did and what he did alone, and you can't add a thing to it. And the minute you get into any works or any effort, you got mixture in your life, and you can't have mixture. You can't mature. You can't experience all the goodness of God under mixture. It'll cripple you and mess you up, not because God went anywhere, but because your head is going to get confused with performance and standards and checking boxes and comparing yourself to others. And it's all nonsense. Can anybody say amen? It's true. I, 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 I want to get nasty with this. You know, Paul, when he wrote Galatians, he was some upset because people came in and tried to mix them up with some, some performance. And you, yeah, you know, you're saved by grace, but then you got to keep yourself saved. Yes, we're saved by grace, but then you still got to do some good stuff. You don't have to do some good stuff. You do do good stuff because you focus on grace. You don't do good stuff to prove you're a Christian. Okay, okay, find some commands to obey. It flows out of you. It's fruit. You don't have to grunt to get fruit. Because it's a natural outworking of your abiding relationship. He planted you. He fixed you. He put you in. And you can't take yourself out. Oh, I think you can't take yourself out. Not sure about that. No, you can't. You got in the ark. He shut the door. Done. You're locked up in the finished work of the atonement. And you could fall down in the ark as many times you want. <laughs> but you can't fall out. Because he shut the door. You can't open it. You can't do a single thing about it. You are a child of God. Locked up in Christ Jesus forever. Oh, no, you can, you, can, you can mess it up. No, you can't. 
Can you be a messy believer? Yes, still a believer. Strange as that may be. Is that okay? I hope you understand that. Okay, you can't be raised by mixture. Here it is, honey. Titus 2, 11 and 12. For by grace, his unmerited favor and blessing, it has come forward and appeared. It's for the deliverance from sin. For the deliverance from sin and the eternal salvation for all mankind. What is your salvation? It's what? It's partial. It come and goes. It's conditional. And you got to keep the conditions every day because you could fall out, you know. Rubbish! Somebody get happy right now. It is rubbish, I'm telling you. Deliverance from sin and eternal. Say eternal. Go look that word up. Eternal salvation for all mankind. Crazy stuff, I'm telling you. It has trained us to reject and to renounce all ungodliness and irreligion and worldly passionate desires to live discreet, temperate, self-controlled, upright, devout, spiritually whole lives in this present. You know what? If you teach the law, you're going to create a bunch of sinners. They're not, they're going to sin. They're still children of God. But you're going you're gonna to create people that are on this treadmill of always performing. They're going to wake up every day sad they're a Christian and miserable. But you know, when you preach the grace of God, you're going to have some happy people because it's grace is the powerful force in your life that actually enables you to manifest the life of Christ. Why, why don't people just accept that? I don't even understand. But you know, the flesh wants to deserve it. The flesh wants to say, God, let me exchange some good works for your favor. I did it. I checked a few boxes today. How'd you like that? Whatever. You can't get any better than you are right now. You can't get any closer to God than you are right now. Some of the worst religion today is charismatic religion. Don't you want to get closer? Do you know who said that? The first person who said it? The devil. Don't you want to be like God? Because that's a really good statement, isn't it? I mean, everybody goes, well, yes. The problem is you already are. So here's what I do. Here's the subtleness of that whole thing. I'm going to make you try to perform on your own strength what is already granted to you. I'm going to try to get you to earn a gift. Oh, God, thanks for the gift, but look, look at my dance. I'm going to show you that I deserve it. <laughs> you, know when a, you know when a gift's not a gift? is when, when you perform for it. It's no longer a gift. But that's why it has to be by faith so that it's all grace. Oh my goodness, I got tied up there, didn't I? Adding anything to Jesus in order to be accepted by God threatens the very freedom of the church. Threatens the very freedom of the church. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Galatians 5, 4, you who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. Does that mean you fall into the kingdom? No, you fell away from grace as the vehicle that you're going to live by. So you didn't fall out of the kingdom. You just fell out of walking by grace every day. You didn't stop being a believer, but you decided that I'm going to be good by doing some law for a while. What do you think, Father? Well, I don't recommend it. See, some people think, well, you fall from grace when you... No, it says right here, it says, you who attempt to be justified by the law, you've fallen from grace. Page five, sincere faith. Sincere faith. So grace is a, is a big, big deal. Say it's a big deal. Say it louder. Say it louder on a scale of one to ten. Make it a ten. It's a big deal. All right. Wow, that was, that was some good law-keeping grace right there. All right, number three, sincere faith. Sinisere. Sinisere means without wax. 
When they made sculptures that had cracks and crevices, if they wanted to sell it and didn't want anybody to see the flaw, they would wake wax and they'd melt it inside the marble and make it look like there wasn't really a flaw. So we want faith that's without wax. I'm not pretending I'm standing free in the faith of God. And this isn't some phony performance faith. This is straight out sincere faith. Let me just do everything I need to fill my faith bucket and I can trade what I desire for God. Amen. God, I'm filling my faith bucket just a little more. I'm almost there. I'm looking for a healing miracle. So I'm going to fill it up. I'm going to fast for 10 days. I'm going to fill up my faith bucket. Oh, I confess I'm free. I confess I'm free. I confess I'm free. I confess I'm free. 10 more. Confess I'm free. I confess I'm free. I confess I'm free. I confess I'm free. Bucket's getting fuller. Confess I'm free. I confess I'm free. I confess I'm free. I confess I'm free. Oh, now I'm, you know what I'm going to do now, Lord? I'm going to forgive some people. I forgive you. 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 I'm almost there. What else can I do? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I'm almost there. I can almost trade for a miracle. That's works. That's absolute works. And when people say that you got to do something to get something that the cross already won for you, that's works. Should you forgive people? Yes. Why should you forgive them? To get something from God? No, you should forgive them because you're forgiven. Ramey gave me an amen. A few people are, I don't know. It's one of my favorite things to tell my sick friends. Have you got a root of bitterness in your life, brother? Why, yes, I do. Well, God won't heal you. Oh, so God and my work of dealing with my root of bitterness. Root of bitterness can mess with you. But honest to God, I've seen God heal people that aren't even believers. I've seen God heal people that weren't even looking for healing. And you know, deal with the root of bitterness later, but we just put, a, we put qualification marks on things that God never put. Because we're going to some of those red letters, and we're reading some of those red letters that were all in the law, and we've made charismatic doctrines in them. And then we wonder why we can't get people healed because we've now turned healing into a work. Oh, you got to do something to get your healing, brother. Jesus said that salvation and healing are in the same package. He says, it's no different for me to say your sins are forgiven or to say you're healed. It's no different. What did you have to do to get your sins forgiven? Only believe. But to get healed, a lot of work's got to go on. You got to come in and, well, we'll have to talk to you for a while. You know, there are things in your life that, you know, what unhappy relationships, all that kind of stuff can mess with you. But you know what? It doesn't mean that God hasn't healed you. It means that you refuse to let go of the unhappy relationships. But it doesn't mean you had to do that to get healed. Healing is a gift of God. God doesn't do healing. God is the Lord who heals me. I can't be myself today because you got something wrong in your life. That's rubbish. Hello? You know what that was? That was a sacred cow. It's a sacred cow. Just kind of. Alright. The apostles came up and said to the master, give us more faith. But the master said, you don't need more faith. There is no more or less faith. There is no more or less faith. Because that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's always on a scale. Well, how much faith do you have? You know what you need? Hey, you need more faith. You could be healed if you had more faith. They came to Jesus and said, if it's faith, give us more faith. 
And he said, there is no more or less faith. What are you talking about? He said, man, faith is faith. I mean, you can have faith like a mustard seed. I mean, faith is so powerful in itself. I mean, faith the size of a mustard seed can say to the sycamore tree, go jump in the lake, and it would do it. So that's how powerful the faith that God has given you is. It's not your faith. It's God's faith. So four basics on faith. You ready? Faith is a law, but by the law of faith, faith is a law. Number two, faith is a gift. Say gift. Gift. How do you get a gift? You just say, thank you. Who needs faith? Thank you. What kind of faith is it? Faith comes by trials and tribulations. Faith comes by memorizing scripture. Faith comes by praying and fasting. Faith comes by listening to 500 sermon series from Pastor Carl. Actually, that would help. You know why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. The only thing that brings faith is the word of God. The word of God creates faith. Oh, I thought trials and tribulations did. You know what I learned through a trial and tribulation? Trials and tribulations suck. That's what I learned through those things. I went through a test, and now I have more faith. That's just stupid. <laughs> okay, sorry for those of you who like that. All right, but faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So you don't lack the ability to believe, but you lack the knowledge of what to believe. Or you've added stuff that shouldn't even be there. Some people have deletions and some people have big, big distortions. And some people are somewhere in the middle of actually, I'm somewhere, I've got deletions, I've got distortions. I got stuff I've distorted about God that isn't right. I got some stuff I don't even know about God yet to my detriment that I need to embrace all that he is. And we're all somewhere in that circle of our own deletions and distortions, but it doesn't change the fact that he is the truth and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can I get an amen? Can I get a clock? Oh my goodness, I'm on page five. Okay, faith comes by hearing faith. How does faith work? Faith's very simple. It works by believing what you heard and confessing it, standing in agreement with it. For sure, they say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast in the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things what he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, whatever things you command when you pray, whatever things you call into manifestation when you pray, believe that you have it and you will get it. So believe that you have it, believe that you received it and you'll have it. So that's so backwards, isn't it? So I got to believe I got it, and then I get it? Yeah. You got to believe it's a done deal. Done. Thank you, Jesus. I just saw in your word that you've got this for me. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Boom. Well, I'll believe when I see it. That's not faith. Faith works in the unseen realm. Romans 4, 16, so the promise is received by faith because it's a free gift. It's certain to all who receive it. Therefore, inheriting the promise is the outcome of faith. It depends entirely on faith in order that it might be given as an act of grace, unmerited favor to make it stable and valid and guaranteed to all his descendants. Romans chapter 4, 17, one of the most pivotal scriptures in the New Testament. I'll read it from the Amplified. In the sight of God whom he believed, who gives life to the dead, speaks non-existent things as though they were he has told, foretold and promised as if they already existed. Abraham, literally, it says Abraham got eye to eye with God. Romans 4.20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Literally, it says that God persuaded him through faith. So God persuaded him through faith to believe this. So Abraham was the first guy to cross over into a realm where no man had gone before. 
Abraham began to act out of the DNA of God. Abraham began to act out of the faith of God. Abraham, a man, suddenly began to act like God, and he began to speak things into manifestation just like God did. He began to operate in his destiny. He began to operate, and he spoke those things that were not as they were, a less than perfect man, which is so great, because he, Abraham didn't get it because he was a good guy. It wasn't because he had a good duty two shoes. And finally, I found a man who qualifies. No, nobody qualifies, but I'll qualify you. And he believed God when he said, just speak it, Abraham. Just come on, eye to eye with God. On an equal footing with God, he began to believe God, and he spoke out of the same life force as God. Man expressing the DNA of God. A man lifted up in the sight of God, doing the God sort of stuff, declaring things that were not as though they were, so God could make it. So, Genesis 15, 1 to 6, come out of your circumstances, come out of your pup tent, come out of your miserable situation, come into the unseen realm. Come into a realm where, where there's nothing. Come into a realm where you can't see it. Come into a place of creativity and speak those things that are not as though they were. I'm seeing a vision, honey. Never seen so many quiet people ever. That's what he did. Abraham, Abram, exalted father, Sarai, princess, yet they had an empty tent. But God said, come out of your tent and look and believe me. And he said, if you believe me, look at the stars. That's going to be your descendants. And it says, and he believed God and it was accounted or was credited to him as righteousness. So Abraham, after that encounter, he decided, God says, I'm changing your name. You're no longer Abram. You're no longer Sarai. You are Abraham and you are Sarah. And what he added to their lives was the fifth letter of the alphabet, which was grace, which is the creative word, hey. He added the creative realm to their name. And he said, I want you to add this creative power. Hey, the fifth word of the alphabet, the number of grace, it means this, come forth, creative realm. It's a, it's a, a letter that you can speak and it creates miracles. And that's what he added. What did he do to the father of faith? He added grace into their experience. And what could not be done because their flesh was dead, it could not perform, could not happen, because they embraced the grace of God and they spoke it. When he said, you're now Abraham, you're now Sarah, they woke up, said, Abraham, Sarah, they agreed with God. They didn't, well, that was stupid. Calling, calling you Sarah is going to make a difference in our life. They believed God. And you got to believe God. And you've got to believe what he says. You've got to confess it, and God's going to bring it to pass. Can I get an amen? Just a little grunt. So faith is the substance of things not. It is nothing exists without faith. Faith is nonsense. Say nonsense. Well, that's nonsense, Pastor. Exactly, that's faith. Because we walk by faith, not by our senses. So if you want everything to be sensible and reasonable, you're never going to walk in faith. Because faith is nonsense. We got a purposeful mission. Can I get an amen? We got local missions. We got foreign missions. We got personal missions. We want to reach everybody around us, touch everybody around us. We want you personally to realize that you've got a debt to unpack every day. And that is because he loved you. Just let the love of God unfold in your life every single where you go. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Colonize the earth. Adam didn't lose his religion. He lost his place as ruler. So we need to get that back and we got a purposeful mission to take over the world what are we going to do today pastor carl same thing we do every day we're taking over the world amen i love ramey don't you love ramey the amen's right in the right spot 
Perfect. All right, John 17, 18, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them. So what is the quality of our sending? What is the, the, the authority of our sending? What is the power associated with sending? Jesus was sent with power. Jesus was sent. He was commissioned. He was powerfully sent. I mean, man, he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. You're walking with that same kind of authority, that same kind of power, the same kind of backing of heaven as Jesus had. So transforming lives to impact their world. So we are here to do stuff there. That's why we're here. I did a whole series in London for London. Remember that? We are in London for London. We're not a church in London. We're not just some church that's isolated over here and nothing to do with things, waiting for God to get us out of here. We're the church over here. You know, we're the church in London. We're just waiting for God to get us out of this mess. No, we're in London for London. We're not just a church in London. We're not the church against London. You know the problem with London? Hey, a lot of sinners around here, a lot of terrible stuff going on. Politics and government and, oh boy, some of those counselors, oh my goodness, they're causing us a lot of grief. That's rubbish. They're not causing any grief. In fact, you got authority to speak in those situations. You can change the world right on your knees. That's who you are. That's the power and authority you have. So we're not against London. We're not going to change anything by protest. Hey, hey, righteousness exalts a nation and you people are being unrighteous. Well, you're being unrighteous right now by judging those who don't know any better. You just broke a whole whack of new covenant laws by not loving people. What? Well, you don't love the sinner, hate the sin. No, hate the sin means hate the sinner. Aren't you glad that God in the face of all your sin invaded your situation, got right up in your face, and right while you were a messed up, goofed up sinner, he said, I love you. If you would clean up your act, I would enter your life. No, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Wowzers. So we are the church not of London either. You know, we're not the church of London that has hyper-identification. Anything goes. You know, ooh, case or us or whatever. We are the church for London. We're here, London, and we're here for you. Missional church, you can read about that from uh, Alan Hirsch. You can read that all by yourself. I'm moving on. Rick Joyner. The missional church. We love missions and missional. That's a good quote, actually. I just don't have time. Rick Joyner said, there can be no revival without soul winning. There can be no revival. Now, it's Rick Joyner. I know it's not scripture, but it's Rick Joyner. It was writing in his book about the world of flame, did a massive study on the Welsh revival, and he said there can be no revival without soul winning. In saving lost souls, the Welsh revival must be considered as one of the most intense and effective revivals of all time. This was not a program for a few preachers or a campaign to get church members testifying of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. There were no classes given on how to reach the lost. It just seemed that every Christian in Wales erupted simultaneously with a burning agony for the lost. The joy of salvation simply could not be contained by the believers as in coal mines, tram cars, offices, schools, on a ship, in a pulpit, wherever. There was no set pattern or strategy of witnessing. It was simply born out of an overflowing joy and faith that could not be contained in those who knew their Savior. Man, what are you so happy about? Man, it's got Jesus in my heart, you know? It's so good. What are you so miserable about? I've uh, been to church. Okay. All right, Jesus, I mean, uh, Christ, we're there witnessing, speaking utter truths. I mean, it says that, that uh, God was using, uh, I love this. This is Paul. I mean, Paul wrote this. He really said this. And look what he says. With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. So Christ is my witness. I'm telling you, I'm telling you the truth. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. So there's like three witnesses, myself, and my, my conscience, the Holy Ghost, and Christ. I'm telling you the honest truth right now. You ready? My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish 
closest brothers and sisters. I would be willing to be cursed forever, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Wow, I won't even cross the street for an unbeliever. Paul said, I'd be damned forever if that would bring people into the kingdom. Yeah, he just said that. No, the Holy Spirit bears witness, and Christ bears witness. He means it. Here's a guy who literally took the gospel to all the known world. Thank God for Paul. When's the last time you wept for the lost? Because we got that same commission. We got that same commission. We should share that passion. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. All those beautiful testimonies of him running into people with difficult situations and they were all set free, intentionally living every day. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is using us to speak to you. We urge you as though Christ himself were pleading with you, be reconciled to God. And you know, it's not be reconciled to God or you're going to hell. It's be reconciled to God because this is such an amazing life. This isn't fire insurance. This isn't like, you know, you don't want to go to hell, do you? I tell you, a lot of people, it's sad. When I was a kid, they told me that heaven was going to be a 24-7 worship service. And I felt really bad because I said, I think services are too long now. I, I felt bad that I'm like... Dad, is it bad that if that's heaven, I don't want to go, oh, that's not heaven, Carl. But everybody says that. It's like 24-7, putting your crown down, burger God. I mean, I mean, I love God and everything, but won't he let us, like, climb a tree or something? He goes, yeah, heaven's all about that. I went, really? When some of these people are like, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven. Just praise God 24-7. I'm going, like, I'll pass. It's a lot more interesting than that, trust me. Trust me. It's all over. And he'll go fishing with you. He'll throw you in the pond. And he'll swim with you. And he'll be, he's not sitting on the throne going, Carl, pay attention. Worship me. You over there in row 44. Worship me for eternity. Anyways, Cheryl's tapping the clock. I got to move on. You know, this is a good life, I'll tell you. But a lot of churches, that's all they got is fire insurance. And now, would you please come to the altar? Option one, you got hell's flames or heaven gates right now. You choose tonight. Because, you know, you might get hit by a car and you're going to go to hell. Who wants to go there? Ah! 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 Anyways, how many got scared into heaven? I did. I got scared. I got terrified. And that's how I got in. So it does work for some, but I wasn't sure for a while. But now I got this relationship with God that's so incredible, so amazing. Works. Okay, equipping ministries. Let's move on to that one, all right? Equipping ministries. Each of us, grace has been given. It says the five-fold ministry. Say five-fold ministries. We believe in five-fold ministry. We believe in apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. We believe that all those gifts are to equip you for works of ministry. They don't do the ministry. They do the equipping. So they do the equipping, but you are ministers. You're the ministers. It's not like, I'm the preacher. Come every week and listen to me. Watch me minister. Hallelujah. Please pass the bucket so I can get paid. Ministry's been reduced to a bunch of nonsense. But it's supposed to be equipping. It's supposed to be putting things in your hands so that wherever you are, I love walking through here during the day looking at all the empty chairs because you know what that means? All the ministers are ministering. 
We don't need to fill up the church 24-7. We need the people outside doing the stuff. So we're into equipping ministries. There's God's part. He graces every person. There's a five-fold part that releases and brings that shape out of your life and causes that anointing on your life to come into manifestation. But then there's your part again, which is, are you willing to be trained? And that's some blanks right here. You ready? We need some fat people. Amen? Any fat? All the fat people said amen. Three people. Okay. Faithful, available, and teachable. That's the fat folks right there. You got to be faithful, available, and teachable. Jesus had a divine strategy for equipping leaders. There was selection, association, consecration, demonstration, impartation, delegation, accountability, reproduction. We do that a lot. My greatest joy is developing other people. My greatest joy is releasing other people. My greatest joy is seeing other people be all that God's called them to be. And I love to see that. It doesn't mean I'm, I'm, I want to create preachers. No, I don't. I want to create amazing teachers, amazing doctors, amazing lawyers, amazing builders, amazing nurses. Why? Because what God does is he disguises a minister in the package of a teacher and he puts them in a schoolroom and you think it's a teacher, but it's really not. It's a minister of the gospel, right? up in a teacher and that whole school is getting exposed to God and that minister is wrapped up looks like a teacher but it's really a minister isn't that awesome so you got builders they're out there and it looks like a builder but it's not a builder it's super Ben it's Ben packing the anointing every person he runs into Ben looks like a builder no it's not he's not he just looks like a builder he's actually a man of God packing with the anointing that strips away every bit of evil and brings people full freedom in Christ Paul he's a lawyer Paul's a lawyer but he's not really a lawyer he's a man of God he looks like a lawyer but underneath you don't want to see that but there's a man of God. There's a minister under there. But here we are in the church. Come up forward. I've got a word for you. Yay, the Lord's calling you into ministry. Now that's rubbish because you're already in ministry. Now we got a whole bunch of confused people. My job sucks. Your job's just your job. It's just a seed bag because you're actually in ministry. I am? Yes. Well, I want to stop working. <sighs> You know, we, we've taken, like, ministry like it's a big deal. Apostles and prophets are in dirt. They're covered. They're foundations. Problem is, apostles and prophets forgot that they were foundations, and they're like, get my next teaching series. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And they forgot that you're supposed to get covered in dirt, and you're supposed to equip people to stand on your back and do something with their life for God. So we got the ministers sitting in the chairs, and all the preachers going, hey, everybody, if you could give me $1,000 right now, glory to Jesus, you know, a bunch of crazy stuff going on and the people who need to be equipped every day to realize that I am a minister right now are doing nothing with their lives because there's no equipping going on. There's a bunch of American hero worship. I love that teacher. Oh, they're my favorite. Well, if they're not equipping you and you're not manifesting ministry in your life, you're just doing some gobbledygook hero worship that's getting the church nowhere. Anyways, little rant. Is that okay? I don't know why I got all ranty tonight, Ben. Why is it? Cheryl's tapping the clock. I got five minutes to finish. Are you ready? Okay, well, you know what we're really into? Big deal. We're into vibrant gatherings. Can I get an amen? amen. Say vibrant. vibrant. Woo, what does that mean? We like it loud. Wow, you guys are really, you, all the quiet people came tonight, eh? Sometimes you go, Pastor, it's because we're paying attention. I don't get that. If I'm paying attention, I can still shout glory to Jesus. Thank you, Mira. I mean, come on, throw me a bone. Throw me a bone. Anybody got a bone? Throw me one. I skipped lunch. So anyway, all right. 
in impact. We love corporate gatherings. We love the tangible presence of God. We like it loud. We expect to encounter God. We believe that God will engage. This is, this is a priority for us, that we want his presence. I had a guy run out one time going, I go, how are you, brother? Do you enjoy the... Something going on in there. It's like people like going to church where nothing touches them. Like they don't experience anything. You know, I went to that church and I felt something. And people feeling the presence of God, sadly, for churches is weird. You know? I tell you, if we don't have the presence of God, well, I'm moving on. And it's important. It's a priority for us that we have vibrant gatherings. Look at this. Look at verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 3. Turn your page over and go to page 9, top of the page. It says, here's what Paul said. I pray that you might come to know practically through a personal experience the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience, that you may become filled throughout your whole being to all the fullness of God, that you might have the richest experience of God's presence in your lives, completely filled and flooded with God himself. I love that, don't you? God wants to be experienced. I mean, we need power, not words. We need an encounter, not an explanation. We need presence, not just practice. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? Hey, come and hear that the Lord is good. No, taste and see. God wants to be experienced. Paul had an experience, knocked off his horse, called into the ministry, boom. What did he get? There are seven things he got right out of those verses. Good little sermon for you. He got a revelation of his lordship. Who are you? Lord? You get a revelation of his lordship. In his presence, you get a revelation of his grace. Ananias laid his hands. Grace, you should get healed here. You should get delivered here. You should experience the goodness of God here. A revelation, a revelation of acceptance. I mean, here's a guy who's just been persecuting and killing Christians, and the first word from another Christian over his life is, brother. Brother. That had to be meaningful. I mean, Paul's like, I don't even know what's going to happen. I'm blind. Who knows what's going to happen next? And the first word from another person sent by God is, brother. That's so awesome. <laughs> I thought it was anyways. Brother, it's all acceptance. You're totally accepted. I mean, here's a guy who says, I've been, I've been, I came here to kill Christians. Brother Saul. Total, absolute acceptance from a guy who doesn't know what's going to happen next. I'm blind. I don't know what's going on. Boom. Brother Saul. And then the power. He said, recover your sight. Healing. A manifestation of power. A revelation of partnership. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. A revelation of union. He rose. He was baptized. United with Christ. And then a revelation of his purpose. Straightway, he preached Christ in the synagogues. I mean, right away. I mean, all those things took place with one encounter with God. Three box tops from Kellogg's. And $50. And I'll send you some papers that qualify you to be a minister in my organization. One encounter with God. Boom. Boom. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. Be ever filled and stimulated with the Holy Ghost. Speak to one another. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Praising God. Voices and instruments. Making melody in your heart unto God. Apostle Paul got thrown in jail there and he's there with Silas. And sure enough, he just started to sing. And when you know and understand the power of a divine encounter, you understand the power of his presence, you begin to sing with God even in the worst situation and everything shifts. He changed. The circumstances changed. Everything changed. Zephaniah 317. The Lord your God in the midst of thee is mighty. He's mighty. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He'll quiet you with his love. He'll rejoice over you with singing. Page 10. We believe in intentional excellence. That's why I'm going to finish on time. I've got one minute. We believe in intentional excellence. Ephesians 6, 7. We put this right over Kelly's desk when we hired her. 
I don't even know why that happened. I, I don't even know who authorized that. But anyways, I thought it was kind of funny. Work with enthusiasm as though you're working for the Lord rather than people. Amen? Because Pastor Cheryl and Pastor Carl could get ugly sometimes. So don't work for them. Make sure you work for the Lord. But do it with enthusiasm. Do it. I mean, thrilled. Uh, Aristotle said, what we do repeatedly, what we do repeatedly, repeatedly do. Excellence. If it's excellence, then it's not an act. It's a habit. Be a yardstick of quality. Steve Jobs. Some people aren't used to that environment where excellence is expected. Every job is a self-portrait of the person who did it. Autograph your work with excellence. That's unknown. I don't know who unknown is, but he has a lot of quotes. Unknown. It's a self, what you just did was a self-portrait. Hey, uh, can, you, can you move that from here to there for me? Yeah, sure. That act was just a self-portrait of who you are. Yeah, my wife's been back cleaning the house. We just moved. We moved on Monday. And Cheryl's back cleaning the house. She's, there's this one spot on the floor she doesn't like. She's been going, trying to get all kinds of different waxes and stuff, trying to figure out how to, how to straighten it out. She's finally got it. But I'm like, holy cow, like, you know? And then the movers, they gouged the piece of the wall and the paint didn't match. So she sealed the wall. And because the paint didn't match, she painted the whole thing. I said, Cheryl, we're moving out. But you know what? She's going to hand that house that we love to somebody. We want them to enjoy it. And she wants them to walk in and just say, isn't that so great? We don't have to do a thing. It's ready for us. That's a self-portrait. Thank God she did it because <laughs> I, I was tired. I was so tired. You're going to do what? I'm tired. Anyway, sorry. Okay. No, I really would have done it, but she beat me to it. Okay. Cheryl, we're in church. Okay. Quality of a person's life is direct proportion to their commitment to excellence, regardless of their chosen field of endeavor. Daniel, Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because he had an excellent spirit. And the king thought of setting him over the whole realm. So that excellent spirit, first of all, you refuse to blend in. Doesn't mean you're stuffy and uptight and everything, but you're not going to join mediocrity. You're going to be excellent. You're going to get results. That's the next thing. They possess firm convictions. They will experience promotion. You know, when you got an excellent spirit, you will experience promotion. You will. You will. They realize uncommon results. It's all right there. I'm not reading the stuff you can read. They invoke opposition. You know what? Nobody likes too much excellence, right? I'm going to call the union steward on you. You're just doing too good. It's funny. The, the world's designed to make us all be so average. All right, they invoke opposition. They possess uncommon boldness. I love it. He goes right into a guy who could kill him, and he says, dude, you know, you're going to be howling and barking like a dog for seven years. Woof, woof. That's a hard word, but you know what? You got uncommon boldness when you got an excellent spirit. But they forward God's kingdom because Daniel understood by the word of the God, the word of the prophet Jeremiah, he understood what time it was, he knew what to do. And people with the spirit of excellence, they got clear, acute revelation of what time it is. And he began to pray in to what God wanted to do. And he brought in the restoration of God's purpose in his day. So an excellent spirit is something that's of value here. We like to have a lot of fun. That's actually a big value here, a lot of fun. But I especially can have more fun when everybody's working with an excellent spirit and an excellent attitude. And uh, excellence is a big deal. Can I get an amen? I'm sorry, but that's it. Is anybody getting anything out of this? Or just, uh, is it helpful at all? Because I know we're going from big, big picture to then next picture, and then next week we're going to get it down even further. Until the last week, there's only going to be one page of notes. One page of notes on the last week, and because that's 
that night you're going to do all the work and we're going to have some fun. So in your binders, though, you did have those tests and those things that were in your binders and I need you to do those things. I hope you will do them and email us and send us the results and things because we want to know who's sitting in the chairs. We want to know who you are. Self-awareness and understanding of who you are. Uh, yeah, in your binders here, you got some uh, surveys and different things right there. First day with the new hands. They've been working. All right, so you got a disc test, personality test. They're all right there. You can go online. You can find them all. We need you to get those. We need you to tell us what that's all about. Strength finders, we got those books in the bookstore. Emotional intelligence tests, those are all good. You should get your strength finders. You should learn your strengths, honestly. You know, incredible self-awareness doesn't turn you in. It turns you out. Incredible self-awareness allows you to cross the room with power because you know who you are. And it allows you to really integrate and really understand. The more you understand you, the more comfortable you're going to understand is, I know myself. I really, really know myself. Yes, ma'am. Uh, just a question. When do you want those done? And how do you want that information sent in? Oh, send it in by email. Do it as quick as you can. If you can't, email, print it off, bring it to us. But we'd like to see it. I mean, do it sooner than later. How many have the gift of procrastination? My dad said, stop procrastinating. I said, oh, you, you just watch. You know, but anyway, you just wait. I'll show you. Anyways, you know, so, so, but send it in anytime. We're ready for it. So uh, don't push it off because you know what? It's already the 10th of July. So you better, anybody enjoying the summer yet? It's on. It's on right now. So please, you know, make sure you enjoy it. Squeeze some fun out of it. So thank you for coming. Any questions? Because it's time to go. I just want to clarify on that point. If you've got the sheet in your binder and you do the test, when you do the DISC survey, you'll either be D, I, S, C, or a combination. If you do the Myers-Briggs, you'll be four letters. Write those down on the sheet. And if you do get a chance to do the uh, Now Discover Your Strengths, make sure you write down your top five strengths. Write it right on the sheet. And then when we need those, you can just hand them in and we can add them to our list of stuff and we'll know where to plug you in and get you moving. That's right, because if your strengths are analytical, critical, cynical, we want to put you in a place where you're going to, you know, maybe count the offering off in a room by yourself. I'm not saying that about Joanne. Joanne, you're awesome. <laughs> that was rough. I saw Joanne look at me. What? Is that what you do? That's what you're thinking? I don't think that of you. But, you know, we want to put people at the front door that are going to greet people and smile and go, hey, go in. Get. You want people that will greet people with a smile, nice and warm, like Ben, you know, give you a big smile. That man looks like he's going to kill me. But then he, then he smiles and you're like, he's really a nice man, you know. But we want to know your gifts and talents because we want to put you in the right spots, amen? Because we're ready to equip and release ministers, so that's what it's all about. All right, I'm going to pray, I'm going to let you go, love you. You guys are awesome, thank you for paying attention. There is ice cream tonight. There's hardly any left, though, because Cheryl's been using it for lunch, dinner, and breakfast. But anyways... <laughs> Not kidding either. Okay. Father, bless us. Thank you, Lord. I just pray, Lord. I sometimes get a little funny and, uh, I don't know, get a little punchy sometimes when I'm teaching. But I hope, Father, that we connect spirit to spirit. And I don't want to fill notepads. We want to fill hearts. And we want to fill people with spirits that uh, are, have revelation and are equipped to serve you in a big, big way. Because there's big things ready to happen in the earth. And we're enlisting right now and saying, we're up for it, big fella. We're ready. And we want to do it. So bless Impact Church. Thank you for all these precious people. I'm so grateful. Bless them all right now in Jesus' name. Amen.